Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com. Joined by Michael Swain of Fog.net. That's right. We are previewing the Texas Longhorns going to Lawrence, Kansas, trying to make like Humpty Dumpty and put themselves back together after a gut-wrenching, just uh, hard-to-figure-out offensive performance by the Longhorns in a 17-10 loss to TCU. Kansas having an unbelievable season, already bowl eligible. Uh, they were bowl eligible before Texas um, and got off to that 5-0 and start. And uh, Michael, it's let's just start with the big picture because Lance Leipold kind of got the momentum in the program going uh, with that 57-56 overtime win in Austin last year. Um, and he's been able to continue to build on that momentum that he has. And I think that's the the moment that if you're going to pick, when did things start to click for Lance Leipold's KU program? It was then obviously they lose the final two games of the season, but they're both one score games. And from there, I think the coaching staff really had a lot to build off of, you know, it's easy to kind of get guys to buy in when you can say, Hey, look what happened over the final three weeks. Once we finally got our system in, in place, when we understood what we were doing week in and week out during practice and, then they go to the transfer portal. I think that's really where things have kind of changed because I think in years past, you've looked at Kansas and said, okay, they've got some players at certain positions. You know, they've got NFL guys in years past, but it's kind of the other, you know, 10 to 12 guys on the team that you're scratching your head. Like, can those guys play at a big 12 level? And what they did over the off season was go out and improve the depth to where I think this is the first time really in the last decade plus that KU's had a two deep that you felt, pretty good about outside of offensive line. I think you feel pretty good about just about everyone that would be on the field. Are they the best players and going to go be all big 12? No, but they aren't players that should be at FCS level instead of the power five level. And I think that's one of the biggest changes. And sure enough, you get a full spring and a full off season and, and things really just took off. I think offensively things really sparked early on with Jalen Daniels at quarterback, but even with him out injured since that TCU game, Tell me if you heard that story before starting quarterback going out against TCU. But, you know, you look at how Jason Bean's done and there really hasn't been a huge drop off. It's been kind of the one off moments as of late that have kind of hurt Kansas. So 
I think overall this is a program that's kind of gone boom under Lance Leipold. Players have all bought in, and I think it's just one of these things where having those extra bowl practices will help contribute to make sure this isn't a one-off season. What? Uh, where did they benefit the most from the portal? Well, I think defensively is the big thing. You look at who KU lost, and really they didn't lose a bunch after last season, but they lost their best edge rusher in Kyron Johnson, who is now with the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, he was a guy that at six foot two, 225 pounds, a little bit smaller, but would run a 4-4-40. Like he was an explosive athlete. And KU went out and got Lonnie Phelps from Miami, Ohio. He was someone that didn't have a lot of offers, surprisingly enough. But his pressure numbers at Miami of Ohio last year were great. Uh, about a 25-plus percent pressure rate last year. And so KU was able to get him on campus for spring practice. And he has been incredible. I'd say he's probably been one of KU's best defensive players this season. A really good edge rusher. Um, gets held a lot. I think it's one of those things you see with every really good edge rusher. They're going to get held, and that's happened this year, and he's been really good. And then I think you look at linebacker, and Ohio State transfer Craig Young has really given defensive coordinator Brian Borland a piece that he's never had before. You know, Craig Young, six foot four, 225, can run a 4 4 40, but also has developed physically to where you kind of feel okay about him tackling in space. And he's kind of the guy that's going to play there, what they call the Hawk. It's kind of that safety linebacker hybrid that every defense runs these days. He's been great. And so I think you add those two players, you know, when you have a Rich Miller, who's a really good starter, you have a Kenny Logan who's been around for a long time and you've got a really veteran defensive tackles unit that rotates six guys all game. And I think you put it all together and this defense has not been a complete sieve like it was last year, but there's still plenty of room for improvement there. Yeah. It's been impressive. The, um, the ability of Lance Leipold to uh, find guys, develop guys and, and get everyone to buy in. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been impressive and um, it's hard to believe that uh, Kansas what the win over Oklahoma state snapped a, a 44 game losing streak to ranked opponents. Yeah, it was uh, since 2010, since their last ranked win and 2005, since their last home big 12 ranked win. And the, the last ranked win in 2010. Do we remember who that was against Georgia tech, Georgia tech Back when Georgia tech was ranked. Oh, how things have changed. 2010. Is that the Charlie Weiss era? It would have been Turner Gill. Turner Gill. Yeah, yeah I'll, Turner Gill. I'll never forget. Kansas could have had Gus Malzahn as the head coach when they hired Charlie Weiss, but that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. I mean, Lance Leipold is a guy who, um, you know, very few people knew about him and his – success at Wisconsin Whitewater uh, when he got to Kansas. Talk about what, you know, how, why is he different? How is he different from the revolving door of coaches, Charlie Weiss, Turner Gill, David Beatty, uh, who, who came before him? I, competence. That's the word you have to use with him. He's a serial winner. He knows how to win, right? Several division three national championships, they went multiple seasons in a row without losing a game. This is a guy that has won everywhere he's been and doesn't know anything else but winning. And I think that's the thing where I think you bring in someone like Turner Gill or Charlie Weiss or David Beatty. They're either underqualified or are leaving their previous stop for a reason or are in over their head. And so I think that you look at this hire for Kansas and Lance Leipold knows how to build a 
culture, how to build a program, bringing his staff with him, I think is a huge part of it where I think under past head coaches, it's been, okay, we need to go build a staff now where most of these guys have been together since Wisconsin Whitewater before they went to Buffalo, right? Andy Kordonek, the offensive coordinator, Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator have been with Leipold since Wisconsin Whitewater. That I think is how everything has been able to go so smoothly where the coaching staff is aligned and that word gets used a lot in the college football world. And I don't know if it's often true where you look at right under for Kansas. Now you've got Travis Goff. He's letting Lance Lapple do his thing. There is no interference. If Lance Lapple wants to do something, he gets it cleared. Cool. They're good to go. There's no interference. And then from there, the players notice that all the coaches are on the same page and it makes it easier for the players all to buy in to what the coaches want to be done week in and week out. And I think, you take all of this together and, and put it as one. And that's why this program has gone from being a joke where it was incompetence, you know, even under less miles, right? There's different people wanting to do different things. Less miles wants to run his offense. Brent Deering wants to run his offense. You go even further under David Beatty, all of a sudden overmanaging, micromanaging people years before that. So each time there's been different things that have limited Kansas. And this time everything's aligned. Everyone's on the same page. And it's just a huge change of approach, I think, for a Kansas program that hasn't had that. When, um, what was the, the breakthrough? Um, you know, obviously the win over West Virginia happens. Um, uh, then they, they go to Houston and win. Uh, but was there a, oh, wow there's something to this team uh, moment for, for you, for the, for the fan base. It was the Houston game for sure, because I think that was back-to-back weeks where you saw something out of Kansas that you'd never seen in, in a long time. Resiliency. Kansas went down 14 to nothing in both of those games and came back and really controlled the game outside of the first quarter. And I think that's something you haven't seen from Kansas when they've won games it's either been they get out an early lead like against Texas and they build that lead and kind of kind of just hold on to the end. Or it's they have a, a very short kind of comeback. Very rarely is it Kansas goes down early. Fans are like, well, tune in next week. I'm turning off the game. I'm going to go watch other good games that are on. And then they fight back. And I think that Houston game was the time when at the time you thought Houston was going to be, you know, they were picked to fit, you know, picked to win the AC or AAC and you go in there and you go down 14 nothing, and then all of a sudden after that, you just dominate the game and score 40-plus points. That was the moment when you – I think for me, I was like, oh, wow, Kansas is a bowl team. That's how good they are. That's how good the offense is. The defense will kind of figure it out because they were showing signs of it. And I just look at that game, the road wins back-to-back. Then you knew coming home they were winnable games because heading into the season, you looked at Duke, West Virginia as the two winnable kind of power five games, if you will. Well, all of a sudden you got an extra one there in Houston and now you're thinking, wow, could KU start four and oh, and then Iowa state happens in five and oh, and it's kind of just all, all cake from there. But I think for me, the Houston game is when everything kind of turned. Yeah. And Jalen Daniels was outstanding in that game. I mean, um, you know, three touchdowns passing, he ran for 123 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and, and then, uh, Jalen Daniels, as you mentioned, gets hurt against TCU mm-hmm. and Jason Bean comes in and plays really well. I mean, Jalen Daniels was kind of struggling in that game. Uh, well, you tell us what what happened, you know, in that uh, TCU game. It ended up being a loss. Game day was there in mm-hmm. Lawrence, which 
When was the last time that happened for football? Never. Never. Um, and and Jalen Daniels, who's been, you know, this Heisman caliber candidate through the through the first, you know, four plus games, uh, goes down. But then Jason Bean and Devin Neal take over. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is how different it looked in the second half where first half, right, Jalen Daniels is out there and it was kind of a second straight game where you're thinking, wow, was the Heisman stuff maybe too soon? Because he wasn't very good against Iowa State either, even though KU won that game. And then all of a sudden Jason Bean comes out and just the deep ball, I think for me was the thing that you saw. Jalen Daniels is has an incredible arm, NFL talent in terms of just the arm throwing capability you know jason bean doesn't necessarily have that but what jason bean is really good at is throwing deep balls and that's what they did is they started to hit tcu over the top and then all of a sudden it kind of opened up the run game and things kind of snowballed from there and it turned into a track meet which through kind of the first three games of the season you knew ku could keep pace and it was just gonna be a question of who had the ball last and ku had it last they literally just ran out of time and i think you look at that performance from jason bean and you said wow ku's lucky how many other Big 12 teams would love to have a backup quarterback as good as Jason Bean? I'm sure Iowa State would love it. I'm sure Oklahoma State would love it. Um, I'm sure, I mean, K-State, maybe before they knew Will Howard was going to go crazy, would like that too. And so I think you saw the depth at quarterback that Kansas had. And I think Jason Bean has his downfalls, right? He struggles with touch throws, doesn't have really good touch in terms of throwing outside the numbers. I think there are moments in his decision-making that aren't great, but – he's a good enough quarterback to win you games. And I think he's shown that. And I think that's a big reason why there wasn't a huge drop off in KU's ability to be really competitive in these games, where I think if you had plugged in a lot of other backup quarterbacks in the big 12, maybe that's not the case. What, uh, I mean, no shame in going to Oklahoma and losing. Um, but where did that game get away? Hmm. The offense, because you look at that game, there's a stretch where Oklahoma fumbles and KU has the ball with the ability to take the lead in Norman. And KU's been really good with the lead this year. When they get the lead, they're really good at keeping on to it. They don't usually falter once they get the lead. But the question is, can they get it? You look at Oklahoma, you look at Baylor, you look at Texas Tech. The three most recent losses um, have all come because KU didn't get the lead. And you can even go back to TCU too if you want to say that. And I think in that game, there's a stretch where they fumble. KU has the opportunity to go and take the lead, and they go three and out. And then from there, the offense sputters as Oklahoma starts to pull away because KU's offense is, or defense is not good against the opposing offense's tempo. So I think for that game, it got away from KU there kind of middle of the second quarter when the defense couldn't get a stop outside of the one forced turnover, and the offense just really, really couldn't get it going. Uh, but the win uh, at home over Oklahoma State, uh, as we mentioned, snaps that 44-game um, losing streak against ranked opponents. And, I mean, that was that was not close. No, that was one of the most complete games I've, see, I've seen a Kansas team play in a long time. All three phases of the game were spot on. KU's defense was so good, stopped the run. And for KU's defense, if they are stopping the run – it really opens up everything else. Brian Borland can go and blitz more because there's third and longs. Those cornerbacks can maybe play a little bit tighter coverage because a lot of the time KU wants to keep teams from getting a big play. And you saw the defense take over. You saw the offense just carve Oklahoma State's defensive front up. Probably one of the most dominant offensive line performances from Kansas in well over a decade. They mauled Oklahoma State up front. And yes, you have to admit, Oklahoma State was banged up, but 
banged up Oklahoma State teams that still come into Lawrence in years past and smacked KU. And so I think overall that was the most complete game this team has played. Offense, defense, special teams. I can't think of any mistakes that KU made all game. So Iowa State is four and one at home. Iowa State, I think so. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Kansas State, is four and one at home. Correct. Yes, only one loss, which was the TCU. And obviously the offense has been has been the story. Um, let's talk about Devin Neal. Um, because Wow. I mean, this kid is, uh, will you tell us? Oh, I mean, you know, KU has been known for its running backs. You think about Tony Sands, Gail Sayers in recent years, Khalil Herbert was there and has now in the NFL playing on Sundays, you know, Puka Williams was incredibly dynamic. I think Texas fans can remember that game. I believe in 2019 when he went to Texas and rushed for over 150 yards, KU has had really good running backs. And what Devin Neal has done the last two weeks is stuff that no KU running back has ever done. Against Oklahoma State, he had over 300 all-purpose yards, the first K running back in history to have over 200 rushing yards and 100 receiving yards. And I think last week's performance maybe overshadows what he did against Texas Tech on Saturday, where he rushes for 190 yards on 24 carries. Had that game against Oklahoma State not happened, you're talking about Devin Neal just having the best game of his career. But the week prior set the bar so high that Saturday's game looks like, oh, okay, just another game. But man – the bye week, I think, helped him so much, where before that Oklahoma State game, KU had the week off, and before the bye week, I think he just didn't look like he had the same burst. And the last two games, you've seen that burst and that speed and the reason why he was the number one recruit in the state of Kansas and a four-star recruit in the 24-7 sports rankings. Like, that's how good he's been. He's living up to the billing. And it's pretty cool to see, too, from a Lawrence kid to come to KU and make such a big impact because – I think he's someone that deserves it. A great kid overall off the field too. Does a lot of stuff in the community. Just overall a really good success story for Kansas. And um, I mean, he's, he's definitely a threat as a receiver. Uh, how consistently are they getting him the football through the air? Not that consistent. Um, I think the Oklahoma state game was a time when KU felt like, okay, we're going to be able to get him the ball through the air. He maybe gets one, two catches a game out of the backfield. And a lot of it's kind of check down stuff. He's not someone they're going to use a bunch of screens for and things like that. They really try and limit his carries. He had a career high usage against Oklahoma state, another 24 carry game on Saturday. They really try and keep him kind of in that 12 to 17 touch per game because they don't want him to wear down. Like some of the other Kansas running backs that have come through the program where by the time they leave campus as a senior, they look worn down and don't have that same sort of speed. And I think they're trying to manage his workload and make sure that he can still be a productive running back as a junior. And if he comes back as a senior. So I think the usage they're trying to manage that. So it's not going to be a ton of stuff for him in the passing game. Yeah. Cause I look at um, the Texas, you know, the Texas tech game, you mentioned the um, you know, the 190 yards rushing and and then four catches for for eight yards, um, and you know the guy just seems like he is the go-to guy. But tell us who else on this offense is, you know, is someone that uh, defenses have to account for. Yeah, I think he does a really good job of spreading the ball around to the wide receivers and tight ends. Jared Casey obviously had to play against Texas. Jared Casey version, but man. 
you want to talk about a success story? He was put on scholarship over the offseason and has lived up to the billing. Against Oklahoma State, he caught a huge fourth down catch that moved the chains for KU on a scoring drive. You look against Texas Tech on Saturday, he has a 66-yard touchdown catch on a fourth down and one. He's a guy that when KU needs to play in big moments, they go to him. Uh, tight end Mason Fairchild's taking a big step forward as well. They're going to use him up the seam on the outside. You know, Luke Grimm, uh, number 11, has been banged up a little bit, but he's kind of KU's uh, shifty guy that if they need a guy on third down to go get the ball, he can be one of them. And Lawrence Arnold, a, a Dallas native, played at DeSoto. He's really come on and is playing really, really good football over the last few weeks. He's averaging almost 20 yards a catch over the last four weeks and has been just really, really good for Kansas. He's kind of a, a long 50-50 guy, really good leaper. I think his high jump uh, numbers in Texas were really, really good. And he's someone that if Kane needs a jump ball in the end zone, they're going to throw to him. But also if they need a guy on third down or on a slant, he's going to be the guy they go to. The um, um, Well, we'll take a break. We'll take a, a, take a quick break here on the flagship podcast, previewing Texas and Kansas with Michael Swain of Fog.net. We'll even talk a little basketball. Uh, so don't go anywhere. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Michael, let's, let's shift over to the defense. Because, um, you know, Kansas was leading the conference and turnover margin uh, for the longest time. They're plus eight now, um, or plus seven, I guess, because they had a turnover against mm -hmm. Texas Tech. But talk about that. Talk about the, the, um, that, that turnover margin, because it's a, it's a huge deal. It's one of the reasons why Kansas is where they're at. It's because the defense has averaged about two turnovers forced per game and they didn't force any against Texas Tech on Saturday, and it's only the first time this season, second time this season, they've been held without forcing the other team to turn the ball over. Super impressive of what that unit has done, and it's been a mix. They forced fumbles. They've forced interceptions. It's just been a defense overall that's had some ball hawk abilities, and for the shortcomings in terms of consistency, they've made up with it in terms of making those big plays, those game-changing plays that can change momentum uh, of a contest and it's been different guys Kenny Logan 
Mellow Dots in a corner, Kobe Bryant, all guys that have forced interceptions. You know, basically uh, half the front seven feels like has forced a fumble at some point or another. And so I think overall it's just a defense that is not great down to down, but every once in a while comes up with those winning plays. And again, it's just stuff that Kansas has not had in years past where they don't force many turnovers. They allow a lot of points, and this year's just been different. It's a defense that figures out ways to force turnovers, and obviously the the opposing team has to factor into that. The quarterbacks have thrown KU the ball a few times. I think Garrett Rangel from Oklahoma State certainly did that in the first two drives against Oklahoma State, but it's a defense that deserves a lot of credit for kind of that, that ball hawk, nose-for-the-ball ability. Well, who are the pillars? I mean, Kenny Logan, mm-hmm. let's start there because um, the guy – you know, is their leading tackler. Uh, but what what does he mean to that KU defense? He really is everything. And I think he's a pillar for what this program is under Lance Leipold. He could have left. He signed with Les Miles, played a little bit as a freshman, and could have left when they went to Lance Leipold. He decided he, he committed to Kansas, not to Les Miles and his staff. And I think he's kind of been the tone center. He wasn't picked as a captain this year, which was a little bit of an interesting decision made by the players. But He's a guy that really is the leader of the defense. He's going to communicate. He is a fiery person. I think that at times maybe the body language isn't the best, but I think he wears his heart on his sleeve, and I think the players around him really respond to that because they know when Kenny gets on them that he's just trying to win the game, and I think he's been huge. Obviously, he went into the season not wanting to have the season he had last year where I think it was over 100 tackles, multiple interceptions, multiple forced fumbles. He wanted to take a step back and be more of an interception guy this year. He's done that a little bit, right? He had a pick against Houston that was really big, a pick against Oklahoma. Um, but he's just been the guy that I think week to week you look at and say, this is the guy you know what you're going to get from him each week. And I think he's kind of lived up to the the expectations so far this season. What, I mean, Kansas has had, you know, um, guys on the edge. I mean, uh, Dorrance Armstrong, I think of the the guys who've, who've come through there. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned they're they're getting some of that from uh, the additions through the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who else on that defense? If if KU is going to beat Texas on Saturday at two thirty, who else on that defense has to come through? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Lonnie Phelps has to have a, he has to have a fantastic game. If Quinn Ewers is going to start for Texas, he's going to have to have a lot of pressures. He's been averaging you know multiple pressures per game. The sack numbers maybe haven't always been there, and Lonnie Phillips is going to be the guy. He's kind of the, in terms of the pass rush, the straw that kind of stirs the drink. Because when he's on, all of a sudden you have to double-team him, and then that frees up some space for KU's defensive tackles. And they've switched from being a two-gap team to a one-gap team where those defensive tackles are told as soon as the ball is snapped, get upfield, go. And when Lonnie Phillips is on and it forces a guard to slide over and help out or a tight end to chip, all of a sudden, you're allowing those defensive tackles to get pressure through the middle. Caleb Sampson, number 98, has had a really, really good super senior season. He's someone that in the pass rush is really good. Eddie Wilson, number 11, is equally as good. He's more of a, if KU needs a stop on fourth down and one, Eddie Wilson is going to try and shoot the gap and make that play. And then on the strong side, Jeremy Robinson, number 90, he's uh, coming on strong. He's a junior. He's got kind of that COVID year left too, so he's still got time to develop in the program, but he's someone that in limited snaps, has outproduced Malcolm Lee, the incumbent starter. So he's a guy that has the production to match some of that talent. So those are kind of some of the defensive linemen you need to know. I think a linebacker talked about Craig Young. KU's going to use him on some blitzes. He's kind of the 
the most versatile player on defense. He's going to blitz. He's going to drop in coverage. He's going to cover man-to-man. He's going to do everything. But Rich Miller, the linebacker, number 30, is kind of the the Mike linebacker that does lead a lot of that rush defense. And, man, KU's going to have to tackle a lot better. 21 missed tackles against Texas Tech on Saturday, a season high. I think the most KU's had since the TCU game of last year. KU's been a lot better at tackling this year. They averaged 9.7 missed tackles per game heading into the Texas Tech game and then missed 21. They have to be better, and I think Rich Miller is kind of the tone setter for that. So I think you look at those guys and maybe on the outside, Kobe Bryant. He obviously had the pick six against Texas last year. If there's a guy that's going to get an interception in a big moment, it's going to be Kobe. And he had a really good game against Texas Tech, targeted seven times, only allowed one reception, three pass breakups in that as well. Really good game. And I think those are kind of the guys that Texas fans really need to look out for because if collectively, if all those guys come together and play well, this is a defense that can get stops. It's just a question of can they all do it at once? And that's kind of been the issue this year. Well, you mentioned against um, Texas Tech that the Kansas defense uh, struggled to stop the run. Tech ran it 48 times for 264 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, average 5.5 yards per carry. I would imagine that Texas, especially after um, B. John Robinson goes from 30 carries and 209 yards rushing against K-State to 12 carries and 29 yards rushing against TCU, that uh, Steve Sarkeesian will come to his senses and and put the ball in the hands of B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Um how do you think that matchup? Yeah, I mean, is that what you're expecting as well? Yeah, it's not going to be good. <laughs> it's it's not going to be good for Kansas. I already, for me, I look at this game Saturday and I think Texas is going to be able to run the ball. I think you look at KU's defensive front; they've been better. They're old. Um, it's been a step forward compared to past Kansas teams. But I look at that Texas offensive line. Bigger, faster, stronger. And if you can run the ball against this KU defense, you're going to be able to score 45-plus points because so much of it is predicated on stopping the run. KU really tries to stop the run with seven, with kind of the front seven, and then keep the defensive backs back, play a lot of cover four, keep things in front of them. Well, all of a sudden, if you're getting past those linebackers, there's a lot of space to run into before Kenny Logan gets to you. And I look at this game and – this feels like a get right game for you know Robinson and his abilities because he can make guys miss after a game like Texas Tech. I don't know where KU's going to be at tackling wise because it's been so hot and cold coming out of the bye week. I think this is a Kansas team that is starting to get physically worn down a little bit. And I just, man, I don't have a good feeling about the run game. But I think for Texas fans, if KU comes out and stops the run, all of a sudden, then I think there's a pathway for Kansas to win the game because I think Quinn Ewers will throw Kansas the ball at least once. And I think you saw it where he locks on to guys like Xavier Worthy who are incredibly talented. But I think Kansas is the type of team that can stop some of that. Uh, it's just a question of if the run game's going, then it's kind of just got to throw your hands up and say, well, hopefully the offense can score enough. Special teams, Michael. Okay. Um, tell us about KU special teams. They've tried not to use them. I'll give the offense credit. They've done a really good job of not having to punt the ball a lot and not kick a lot of field goals. But there's one thing I think this Texas Tech game showed you. It's that KU's field goal kicker, Jacob Borchilla, is not great. Uh, career under 60% uh, 
field goals under 60% for this season. He missed a 37-yard kick um, on Saturday against Texas Tech and also missed, I believe, a 41-yard attempt as well. Not great. And so Kansas is not going to beat Texas by kicking field goals, and I think Kansas will be much more aggressive on fourth down as a result. The punter, Reese Vernon, is fascinating because there are times when he has really good punts. I think he was pretty good against Texas Tech. Then there are times when he just shanks it, and there's no other way to call it than that. He'll shank it every once in a while, and it'll give the opposing team a short field, and KU is a team that needs to play complementary football. They can't be shanking punts. They can't be turning the ball over as an offense. And special teams is kind of where some of that can slip sometimes, some of that margin for error that a lot of coaches talk about. Kickoff game, net neutral. They don't allow many kickoff returns. They don't return many kickoffs. They will bring it out of the end zone with Kenny Logan. Kenny Logan loves calling his own number with those and gets to the 22 usually. So it's one of those where it's three, four yards you're losing in the grand scheme of things with this offense. Those three, four yards really aren't going to mean much because either KU is going to score or it's going to be a three and out or a four and out type of drive. Um. A lot of talk about Lance Leipold being a candidate here or there, <laughs> you know, Nebraska. What, what's your sense of Lance Leipold and where he is in terms of his um, commitment to Kansas? I think pretty committed. I think so. I think he's very similar to Matt Campbell, someone else that I got to co- or cover when I was at Iowa State. You look at what is a priority for Lance Leipold? I don't get the feeling that money is what motivates him. He's the type of guy that I think working with 18 to 22-year-olds in an environment where he can control things is really big. I don't see that being Nebraska. Nebraska is not going to give him the type of control that he wants, and there's going to be certain expectations with recruiting. And look, Kansas fans, I think, are getting a little bit wary of, we'll see how things go on the high school recruiting front. KU's done a really good job with Portal and junior college, but at the end of the day, to build a long-lasting winner, you have to recruit high school talent. It remains to be seen if Lance Leipold and his staff can do that consistently. That's concern. The job that I'm worried about in terms of me having to cover a coaching search, um, which for my own livelihood I would like not like to happen, uh, is Wisconsin. Lance Leipold is from Wisconsin. He coached at Wisconsin Whitewater. That's one that has connections. I think if they come calling, if they don't want to go with Jim Leonard as their head coach, I think that's one that could pry Lance Leipold away. But I don't see very many programs having – the sway to get Lance Leipold to leave because you look at the new big 12, who are the perennial programs that each year are going to be competing for a title? Oklahoma state TCU. K went toe to toe with TCU this year. They beat Oklahoma state. Is it going to be K state? Like there's a pathway for Kansas to be competitive in the new big 12 and potentially once every four or five years, make it to a big 12 title game. Lance Leipold can't do that at Wisconsin with the new big 10, the way things are going, he would not be able to do that at Nebraska. He can do that at Kansas in my opinion, at least. And so I think that's one of the reasons why maybe he'll stay because the money is in it for him. I don't get the feeling. And I think the ability to win championships wherever he's at is always going to be his goal. And it seems like Kansas is the one that might have the clearest pathway of some of those schools that might come calling for him. Um, so how do you think this game goes Saturday at two 30? I have a hard time seeing Kansas winning. Um, I just, there are so many issues for Kansas. And I think the things that Kansas does well, Texas is pretty good at as well. I look at Texas's defensive line 
those guys are massive. They're huge. And I think they're going to be able to give Kansas offensive line some issues. And all of a sudden, if Kansas can't run the ball, that really limits what they can do offensively. Because then you're asking KU's wide receivers that no disrespect to that group are not at the same level as Texas's defensive backs. You're asking those guys to go get open one-on-one. I don't like that matchup. On the other side, I look at KU's front seven. Can they deal with the physicality of Texas up front? I think that's a tough matchup for them as well. For me, thinking about this game big picture, interested to see how Texas plays in the cold. Obviously, I was there last year when Texas went up to Iowa State and kind of fell flat and in that cold environment. I wonder how much that impacts it. Has a year changed things for Texas? I, I don't know. But I think this is one of those games where if Texas comes out angry, like I expect, considering the way last week went, considering the way last season went and all the memes and everything on social media for the next nine months, how that went, I think this will be a motivated Texas team, which I don't think is a recipe for success for Kansas. So I do think this is a game that Texas will win. I think KU might have a pathway to keep it within kind of 10 points, but I don't really see this one going down to the wire where either team needs a a game-winning drive. But I've obviously been wrong before. I thought KU was going to win three games this year. So, you know, maybe I'm not the biggest expert here, but I think this is a tough one for Kansas to win. And it feels like a get right spot for Texas. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, Quinn Ewers certainly struggling the last three games mm-hmm. for Texas. So uh, that was probably the most alarming uh, development from the TCU game uh, from my perspective, because Quinn had been good in home games. Uh, obviously, Iowa State's defense is, is tough for any young quarterback seeing it for the sure. first time. But um, that uh, that TCU defense was middle of the pack in the Big 12, obviously just sold out to to disrupt everything, sent you know linebackers crashing to, to disrupt Texas's running game, and Texas didn't have an answer. So I would imagine Kansas will watch that film uh, really closely. Yeah. Uh, but Michael, we gotta, before we let you go and we appreciate all the time, we got to ask you about the defending national champion, Kansas basketball team. And, um, you know, Jalen Wilson, um, Grady Dick, it's a different, you know, Kevin McCuller from Texas tech on this team now, um, you know, talk about this team and, and obviously who left and who's who's filling in. I mean, you know, Abaji obviously left, but tell us about this uh, KU basketball team. I'll tell you what, they lost a lot. They lost a lot. And it's one of those teams that for Bill Self and Bill Self's not even coaching the team right now. You know, he's halfway through a four game suspension kind of self-imposed due to the NCAA investigation. It's a young team and young Bill Self teams take their lumps at times. And I think Tuesday night against Duke in the champions classic, is going to tell us a lot about where this team is at right now. Center's a big issue. Um, they've got a true freshman, Ernest Uday, who's really good, but they're starting a six foot seven KJ Adams at center. And that's not a recipe for success for a lot of Bill Self teams that want to throw it in the post. Obviously, Jalen Wilson and Dewan Harris are the two returning starters from the national title team, both really good players. Wilson looks like he's off to an all American level start to his season. His three-point shot has been a lot better. He shot 25% from three. He's north of 40 through two games. Small sample size, but the shot looks a lot better. That's a big deal. Grady Dick looks like a lottery pick. He is maybe one of the best pure scorers Kansas has had because you look at Ochai Abaji, and as a freshman, I should say, Ochai Abaji took time. Towards a senior, he was like that. 
Grady Dick has the ability to drop 20 plus points every night, regardless of which part of his game is going. He can make five threes. He could also, you know, beat you in transition and make creative shots around the rim. He's that type of guy. And I think for him, it's just going to be a question of physically when big 12 play comes, when Tyrese Hunter is guarding him or any one of the other big kind of wings that Texas has, can he score against those guys? That'll be something we'll have to see against Duke on Tuesday when they play up against some really good wings on the Blue Devils. So overall, this is a team that I think will compete for the Big 12 title. Center is the weakness on this team, and if they are going to lose games, I think it's going to be be because they can't throw the ball in and stop a run. If a team's really slowing KU down, they don't have that slump-busting play they can go to like David McCormick or a pin-down for Ochai Abaji. They're going to have to find out what that play is because I think you saw in their exhibition, they were down, I think, 22-2 to two at one point against a D2 school. There are times when it will avalanche on them. And do they have the ability to stop the run and flip the game on its head? That's what we'll have to see. How is Kevin McCullough fitting in? Oh, like a glove, like a glove. He's a Bill Self player through and through. Defensively, really strong. I think offensively his shot will come at some point, but – Defensively, KU has probably – it's so hard to say, right, because Texas has Marcus Carr and, uh, and Tyrese Hunter. It's so hard to say, but I think KU probably has the best defensive backcourt in the Big 12, right? DeWan Harris is probably going to be a first-team all-Big Big 12 defense guy, and Kevin McCullough could be that too, and those are two guys that can lock up the best players on an opposing team. So I think McCullough fits KU, good slasher, really good defender. And I think for him, it's just going to be a question of can he space the floor when he's on on the court? And that'll kind of be – we'll have to see with time because Kevin seems confident it's going to come. I'm not too sold on it yet, but we'll have to see. What uh, what did McCuller say was his reason for leaving Texas Tech? He's been very um, polite, just a bigger opportunity. I think bigger stage and I think for him maybe getting out of that offense a little bit or maybe he can show himself a little bit more, whether it be handling the ball in transition or showing that he can do in the half court. I think there's just a lot of things that went in and I think the opportunity to play on the biggest stage, I think is one of them where it's no disrespect to Texas tech, but you play at Kansas. It's just a different stage. Every game is on ESPN. They play in the champions classic. There's a chance to go deep run in March Texas Tech has done that, just a different cachet when it's Kansas compared to Texas Tech, and I think that's maybe a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah, Bog Allen Fieldhouse, baby. It is, uh, it's like none other. Mm-hmm. Although I'll say that the job that Beard did in building the atmosphere at Texas Tech, that that home game against Texas was maybe the loudest um, college basketball game I've ever covered. Um, and it was filled with expletives, but it was, uh, it was impressive, but night in night out. Of course I was there when Kevin Durant dropped 24 in the first half and turned fog Allen Fieldhouse into a library. I've never heard it that quiet in my life. Um, but, uh, always fun to see, uh, a game in fog Allen Fieldhouse. I'll say that. So, uh, Michael, great stuff. What a what a season for Kansas football, and it would be uh, another you know huge win to take down Texas and continue to build this resume. And it'll be a lot of fun to see Chris Beard's team take on uh, Bill Self's team a little bit later in this college basketball season. 
Thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, definitely. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. All right. For Michael Swain of fog.net, I am Chip Brown of horns247.com. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for listening to the flagship podcast, previewing Texas at Kansas 230 this Saturday. Um, until next time, stay safe and keep the faith. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.